Our text here in Hebrews chapter number 11, we did practice that too. Luke chapter number 18. Hebrews chapter number 11 is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, and it is a chapter on faith. You'll find that is the theme over and over again in Hebrews chapter number 11. We call it, many call it the faith hall of fame. You have all these people who by faith did this, and by faith God used them for this particular thing. Uh, But as we look uh, at this passage in Luke chapter number 18, you know, faith is not something that you know, somebody else should have. God is going from person to person here this morning, and he's asking us, do you have faith? I want you to have faith. And so we're going to look at here uh, what uh, Jesus said when he gave two parables. He was talking to his disciples, and he gave them two parables. The first one is in verses 1 uh, through the beginning of verse number 8 in Luke 18. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men are always to pray and not to faint. So he's giving them uh, the point that he's trying to get across. Pray, don't faint, don't give up, keep on praying. And here's the persistence. Verse 2, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. So she had something that uh, was wrong that needed to be righted, and legally she went to the judge and said, Look, I'm being taken advantage of. I have an adversary uh, who is uh, taking undue advantage of me because I'm a widow. I don't have a husband who can plead my case. I don't have any money uh, that I can take care of my situation, but you need to do the right thing. Now, this judge didn't care uh, about God. He didn't care about people. He was just um, uh, an unjust judge. And so the Bible says here that uh, as she asked for eventually an adversary, verse 4, and he would not for a while. But afterward, he said within himself, though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she weary me. So uh, here's the issue. This woman was not getting the answer that she needed from the judge. You know, judges can be kind of busy, right? Any person who's a professional maybe can be busy. They have layers of insulation, you know, between themselves and you. They have a, uh, maybe a secretary. They have uh, different people who down the line trying to, uh, you know, answer your question before you waste their time, right? I can just picture this lady. She comes to the judge, and uh, she maybe uh, goes to the front door, and the secretary meets her. And, I ah, can I help you? She said, yes, I'm here to see the judge. Well, what's the matter about? I have an adversary, and I need to be avenged of my adversary, and he can make the case right. And, well, you're going to have to come back, uh, you know, and have an appointment. No, I need to talk to the judge now and because uh, I have a problem, and I need, I need the solution, and I'm being taken advantage of. Uh, well, the judge will see you on next Tuesday and, uh, at 4 o'clock. And, no, I need to see him now. And finally, maybe the judge opens the door, and he's like, what's all the noise out in the lobby, right? Hey, judge, uh, avenge me of my adversary. Oh, listen, you need to go away. Uh, I can't deal with that till next Tuesday at 4 o'clock. And uh, so she goes away. And then uh, a few minutes later, there's a knock on the back door. Who knocks on the back door, right? So they go to the back door, open the paper shredders back there, right? Open the door. Hey, avenge me of my adversary. Like, lady, I told you, come back next Tuesday at 4 o'clock, and maybe I'll hear the case. Maybe I won't, right? And so they go back in like, wow, that lady's all of a sudden the phone rings, right? Hello? A judge, avenge me of my adversary. What in the world? Uh, this lady, how did she get our phone number? It's unlisted, right? And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, he goes back in his office. He's like, well, that's over. And then he gets an email, right? Avenge me of my adversary. Like, what in the world? And then she rents a Skywriter, right? Avenge me of my adversary. And he goes to the store. Guess who's at the store? Avenge me of my adversary. He goes out to his car. She's waiting for him, right? And finally, he says, you know what? I don't fear God and I don't fear man. But he said, uh, verse 7, uh, here's the application. 
Because the widow troubleth me, verse 5, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. He goes home, right? She's waiting for him at his driveway. Like, avenge me on my adversary. Don't do that. Be illegal today, right? Uh, avenge me on my adversary. Everywhere he goes, he can't get rid of this woman. And so the principle is, and shall not God, hear what the unjust judge says, shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. So what Jesus is saying is, don't give up on your prayer when you don't get the answer on the first day. Don't give up on your prayer when God says, you know what, I'll come back on Tuesday and we'll, we'll listen to you then. Uh, just keep on praying and keep on praying and keep on praying. And the principle is in verse number eight, nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. What the Lord Jesus Christ is saying is, I want you to have as much faith in God as this little widow had in the judge that if I keep asking and I keep on uh, begging him and I keep on hounding him, that he's going to answer my adversary's needs and he's going to solve my case. You need to have that faith in God in prayer. Listen, I'm going to pray today and I'm going to pray tomorrow. I'm going to pray next week. I'm going to pray in the afternoon. I'm going to pray in the morning. I'm going to pray in the middle of the night. I'm going to pray at midnight. I'm going to pray tomorrow. I'm going to ask my friends to pray and we are just going to bombard. God so God can't get away from hey there's somebody on earth and they're asking you for something and they have faith to keep on asking God says okay I'm going to answer their prayer because they're wearing me down doesn't it say the same idea is in Luke chapter 11 about the man who had a friend come at midnight and lend me three loaves right for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me <coughs> I have nothing to set before him so he, he says he wakes up everybody in the house and finally, he says, you know what? I'm not going to give you the three loaves because you're my friend. And I'm not going to give you the three loaves because I'm generous. I'm going to give you the three loaves so you shut up and let me go back to sleep. All right? Because you keep pounding on the door and you keep begging and making noise and waking everybody up. His importunity, that's the Bible word. His continual asking, his continual hounding, his begging. So Jesus said, have faith. Look at the next principle. Verse 9, Luke 18. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray. The one, a Pharisee. Now, a Pharisee was the religious person of the day. They were the person who outwardly, they dressed in certain clothes. They wore their phylacteries. They had their Bible verses right on their, on their lapels, if you would. And they had their outward, uh, you know, everybody knew they went to church. Everybody knew they were spiritual. And everybody knew they were holy. They'd stand on the street corner and they'd pray, oh, God, I want to pray before I cross the street. Which way should I go? Should I go this way or should I? Okay, that way? Okay. <laughs> you know, they, they were just very outwardly uh, a show. That's what they were all about. But the Bible says that they weren't even saved. They didn't even know Christ as their Savior. He said, you're like a whited sepulcher. You're nice on the outside, but boy, when you roll that stone back, you stink, all right? You're full of dead men's bones, right? Jesus called them a generation of vipers. He called them just, he saved his most scathing rebuke for those righteous, self-righteous religious people, and outwardly, but inwardly, they didn't know Christ. So he said, two men went up in the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, a religious, outwardly pious, holier than thou, but not saved person, and the other a publican. Now, a publican was a tax collector. He was a Jew who would collect taxes for the Roman government from his fellow Jews. 
he would get the tax bill and he could upcharge it, whatever he could, you know, extort. Things haven't changed too much, have they? Uh, we've got 85,000 new agents, so you got to be good, all right? Pay your taxes. April 15th is coming, and uh, always do that, okay? But so he would ch- upcharge the uh, tax bill and he could multiply it however many times he could get. So people hated the publicans, first of all, because they worked for the Roman government, which is their enemy, and second of all, because they were thieves. Remember Zacchaeus? He was a thief. He stole. And finally, when he got saved, he said, I'm giving back fourfold. I'm going to give back everything I've taken. I'm going to multiply it by four. And Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. Here's a Jewish man, and he gives money back. He said, he really got it. Amen? All right, so here we find that Jesus said, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee, and he was a religious man, but he was lost. And the other one was a publican, which was a who? A tax collector. You went back to Dr. Seuss, right? Who was a who? Horton? Oh, never mind. All right, a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, because that's the only person that heard his prayer. God didn't hear it. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are. Can you hear this guy? Extortioners. Wow, he kind of nailed that publican right out of the box, didn't he? Unjust, adulterers, or worse, even as this publican. I mean, he was just like having a great time. Hearing himself pray. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Didn't Jesus say you tithe your mint, your rue, your anise, you're coming, right? You tithe. You tithe out of your spice rack. Well, there's one mint for God and nine for me. There's one uh, clove for God and nine for me. Uh, he said, you know, but you're, you're not saved. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not so much as would not so much as his, lift, lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the publican, the, le- the second one, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, he sandwiched these two parables. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly connection. He sandwiched these two parables in the middle of the phrase that when the Son of Man comes, he's looking for something on the earth. And what is that something? Faith, verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. So these two parables... The one about the unjust judge and the widow who was being taken advantage of, and she kept on begging, and she kept on banging on the guy's door, knocking and trying to get his attention to be avenged. And the judge says, you know what? I can't get rid of this lady. Okay, whatever you want. I won't even take a fee. Just here. We'll solve the case for you, and it's done. And she was happy. She got what she wanted. And Jesus said, okay, that's the way we need to pray. We need to come to God and say, God, uh, I'm not going away till I get the answer. I am not going to stop knocking until you, until you answer my prayer. I'm not going to stop seeking until I find, and I'm not going to stop uh, harassing you until you answer my prayer. Ask and seek and knock. And so he says you need to pray with faith. Then he talks about the second one, and in between he uses that finding faith. The Bible says that every one of us is given a measure of faith. Look at Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. And look at verse number 3. 
For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now, what is God looking for in Luke chapter 18, verse number 8? When the Son of Man cometh, will he find what on the earth? Faith. Okay? Where is he looking for faith? On the earth, right? Is he looking for faith, I don't know, on the ground? He's looking for faith in a tree? He's looking for faith in a person, right? So he's coming and he's looking for faith in people when? When he comes, right? Verse 8, when he comes. Well, look, he's coming soon, isn't he? Absolutely. Now, this Pharisee prays and he uses 34 words, the religious man. He uses 34 words. Five times he uses the word I. He's talking about himself. The publican comes and he uses seven words. God be merciful to me, a sinner. He uses the word me once, but he asks for God's mercy. The Bible says here that he gets what he asked for. Now, let me see. Can I have you, you four gentlemen right back here in front of Brother Eric? Why don't you sit in the front row for one second? Because I'm going to give you something, okay? All right, come on up here. I got something for you. You'll be happy you sat in the front row today, okay? Come on. Do you guys like some money? All right, have a seat right here. I'll give you some money, okay? Now, back in the day, probably kids would get excited when you give them. A, I got more people, right? Give me one more person. Who else wants some money? Anybody else want some money? Okay. All right, there, there you go. Go on, the assistant pastor. He needs some money, okay? Let me take your wife shopping, okay? Good, good call. All right, so I'm going to give you some money, okay? All right? Now, each of these guys got the same amount of money. $100 bill, right? Is that a $100 bill? Oh, I got it from the wrong side of the wallet, okay? We got some money. Now, every man in the front row, and anybody could have had it because I said, you know, who wants some money? Now I'm not going to, the statute of limitations has run out, okay? God gives to every man the measure of faith, okay? So each one of you has a dollar, right? It's not a lot. It used to be a lot more than it is, but you didn't work for it, so you got something for free, okay? I worked for it, and I give it to you. Now, uh, you can do a lot of different things with a dollar, okay? You can go to Brother Jackson's candy store, and you can buy absolutely nothing, Okay? <laughs> It's like I got shaken down for a candy bar. It was like buck fifty. Okay, he's not here, so we're gonna talk all about him. Okay, uh, you can get a job. I think there's a thing back there looking for work. Okay, you can get absolutely nothing. You get a dollar an hour. Uh, but you could you could take you could take this this dollar. You really can't buy some candy at the candy store. Okay, I'm just I'm just kidding. But you can go to the candy store and you can buy a dollar's worth of candy. And you can then go see your dentist, who will love you for it because he has work to do. Right, and you can you can spend that money on whatever you want. You could go to McDonald's, they used to have a dollar value meal. They don't have that anymore, do they? Inflation killed the McDonald's, do they? It's a $5 meal. And uh, you can go to Wendy's. You all could get together and get a biggie bag, okay, at Wendy's for 5 bucks. And, uh, okay, you can get a, ask me, how do I know that? Uh, <laughs> you can get a, a junior bacon cheeseburger. You can get four chicken nuggets. You can get French fries and a drink. And you stay there all day. You can get five drinks or ten drinks, right, at, for 5 bucks. You guys could pull your money. You could get something really good, okay? Now, you determine how you invest that dollar bill, all right? You know what you could even do? You could get generous, and you could give it to the guy when you're leaving here who's standing on the corner of the street, and he needs some money, and he'll work for food. Okay, so give me a dollar. Okay, you, thank you. You can give that to the guy, and uh, so yeah, you can have that, okay? You, you can give it away, okay? You can buy candy with it. You can give it away. What else could you do with that dollar? 
You could save it, all right? You could save it. It's worth, I don't know how many, uh, 14 cents or something like that. Uh, you can save it. And the new budget, you know, to spend $1.29 for every dollar that we spend, that, uh, that's great. Uh, so you could save it, and you could put it in a CD. CDs are paying 4% interest. I just went and got one yesterday. Can you believe that? And that's, that's pretty good. Uh, you could put it in your mattress, okay? You can do a lot of different things with that dollar, Okay. But that's your choice because it's yours because they give it to you and you can have it. Now, stay right there and uh, stay with me, okay? Now, the idea is God has given to every man the measure of faith. Every man gets the same measure of faith. If you would, everybody here got a dollar, okay? These guys all got a dollar. They can do whatever they want with it. God has given each one of these a measure of faith. Now, you can put that measure of faith where you want it. Some people take that measure of faith and give it to God and say, you know what? God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, this man went to his house justified. Why? Because he took his measure of faith and he gave it to God. He said, you know what? I am a sinner. I can't save myself. Only God can save me. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said he went home justified. He saved. We're going to meet him in heaven someday. The other guy spent 34 words investing in himself. He took that measure of faith and he put it in his pocket. And he says, you know what? I don't do this and I don't do this. And I thank you. I'm not like all these other scum of the earth people, right? I do all these things. Look at me. I fast twice a week. I tithe of everything I have. He took his measure of faith and he put it in himself. He did not go home justified. He was just as lost as when he got there. He invested his measure of faith in the wrong place and in the wrong person. Now, the parable... We have a whole bunch of stuff. I'm just going to shorten it all up, okay? Next thought. This widow woman was a desperate case. When you were a widow in society back in Bible times, you were the most desperate person in the world because you didn't have a husband. You remember in uh, Elijah's day, the widow, who had, her husband was a prophet, and they were going to sell his two sons after he died, right? And the woman came, she says, I, my sons are going to be sold. They're on the chopping block, right? Because she couldn't pay her bills. He said, what do you have in your house? Gather empty vessels, not a few, right? You remember that story? I mean, that's the place where widows were in society back in the Bible times. It was just desperate. They were, they were desolate. You remember Naomi? The book of Ruth? I mean, gleaning out in a field, right? This is just nothing. So they, the oil came. They sold the oil and, and paid the debts, and she got to keep her two sons. They didn't get sold. So here's a woman who's going to be taken advantage of. And the judge who doesn't care, the most desperate case. Hey, you know, you can come to God, the most desperate case, and you can plead your case, and you can win with God. The Bible says that we plead at the throne of grace, Hebrews 4, verse 14, 15, and 16. We plead our case at the throne of grace, and the Bible says in 1 John 2, verse number 12, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. I always tell the guys in the jail, I say, listen, fellas, uh, you know, when you go to court and you get a court-appointed attorney, it's not always the best thing, right? And it's just whoever, you know, drew the short straw that day. Guess what? I have a court-appointed attorney in heaven. And it's good because he's appointed by God and he's never lost the case. Amen. And I get to go to God and say, I'm pleading, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And every single person who asks, he's received them into heaven the court-appointed attorney, Jesus Christ, the advocate who runs to the Father for us and asks for forgiveness. Now, Jesus was walking with his disciples. In Mark chapter 11, we'll just uh, talk about this a little bit. And uh, he had just cursed a barren fig tree. 
He'd overturned the tables of the merchants, you remember that, in the temple. He went out of the city. When morning came, he saw the fig tree, and it was withered. Peter said this, Master, behold, the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. And Jesus answering saith unto him, four little words, have faith in God. Have faith in God. Well, if I could drill that thing into our hearts today. Have faith in in God. And then he talks about a faith in verse number 23 of that same passage, Mark 11, a faith that moves mountains. He said, if you'd have faith, you could say to this mountain, be cast into the sea, and it would obey. Have faith in God. Now, back to our text where we started. You thought I forgot. Hebrews chapter number 11. Let me give you several points this morning, and then we'll go to the house. What's for lunch? I'm starving. You don't know? Okay. We'll just keep going then. All right. You guys, we're going to buy a biggie bag. All right. What do you like to Bacon double cheeseburger? We have double stack? I don't know. I, I still have to look at the menu. I went to Wendy's yesterday. I'm like, what's on the menu? Wow, Chili's like, how much was it? Three bucks. I'm like, man. Okay. Eat at home. It's cheaper. Number one, Hebrews 11, verse number six. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Let me give you the first thought this morning. Faith pleases God. Hey, if you take that, what you have, and you give it to God, you take that measure of faith and you invest it in God, God says, you know what? I like it. God pays the best interest. God pays the best dividends. You can invest in yourself, and guess what? You're falling apart. You can invest in yourself, and you're just, you can do what you can do. Man, I go to the store now. I went to the store the other day, and I bought two sheets of plywood, and the clerk actually helped me load them on the cart. He goes, can I help you, sir? You know, before, I'm like, you know what? I'm doing this myself. Now I'm like, sure, yeah, I'll take help. And he was there to load it in the truck. I'm like, I'm an old man now. And I used to be, I could, you know, like, I can get, I got this. Now it's like, you got it. I'll just watch you. Uh, but we come with faith. And you put faith in yourself and yourself is getting frail and yourself is falling apart and yourself is sinful, myself too. We come to God by faith, believing that he is. You know, we believe in lots that we haven't seen. Faith pleases God, but without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I believe in a lot of things I've never seen. I can't understand. Magnetism. I don't understand that. How do I go out in the woods, get my compass, go on hunting, right? And it's like north. North is that way. And uh, I just walk until I find myself uh, coming out on the road where I'm supposed to be. I use my, and I do use my compass, all right? Thank you. Um, what, molecules in an atom. You, you type in your, your GPS, right? <laughs> That's a family joke, right? How does that? I got lost in the woods. And uh, you know, they wrote a book about me. Uh, <laughs> lost uh, in the woods. Uh, molecules. How do, you, how do you deal with, how do you understand molecules? Everything has molecules. How do you Understand. Look, magnetism, all the atoms are polarized in a magnet. They're pointing in one direction. You can take a, mag- a nail and you can magnetize all the atoms in that nail and it can pick up washers off the floor. How does that work? I don't know how it works. I believe it. The human DNA, it stretches from here to the moon. How does that work? I don't know how it works. I just know I get hungry every morning, okay? I don't know how that works. Pain. How does pain work? You can't see pain, but when you get punched in the arm like that, you're like, oh, that hurts, right? I don't see pain. How about gravity? How does gravity work? I take something, I slide it off, and it goes on the floor, right? Look, gravity. It never goes up. How does that work? I don't know. I don't understand it all. I believe it. So God rewards our faith. So let's look at this chapter. Let's take a couple things here. Look at verse number three. Hebrews 11, verse number three. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. I love the first verse in the Bible. It's 
explaining everything that we put our faith in. And it says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. You know, the only mystery that you need to understand is Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. If you'll agree with that, look, uh, who was here before the beginning? God was. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that, then the rest of the book, God wrote it. I say, you know what? If I can believe in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, then I can believe everything that's in that book. That's the only mystery I need to solve. Did God create the world? God spoke the world into existence, and he did it from nothing. You know, God creating the world has always been under attack. Because if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If you can attack and destroy the fact that God made the world and God made the world from nothing and God is the creator, God, and he's the one who sustains everything. Listen, all the planets, there's only eight planets now. When I was in school, we had to know nine. Kids aren't even as smart anymore, right? Pluto is it got relegated to a subplanet, right? You got all the planets and they stay in orbit and the sun and the moon and the stars and everything and God keeps it all there and it doesn't fall apart. You know, idols were given credit and gods all throughout history and all throughout the Bible. In modern days, we have this evolution. You know, this uh, guy, um, Darwin, he goes on the Her Majesty's steamer, the, the HMS Beagle. And he goes down to the archipelago, right? And he goes and he finds these little finches and they have different beaks. And he says, see, here's evolution. There's different beaks. Okay, where did the beaks come from? Well, they came from, uh, you know, a mother bird. And where did the mother bird come from? Well, it came from a common ancestor. Where did the common ancestor came from? It came from Lucy. And where did Lucy come from? She was in the sky with diamonds. And they say, we're crazy, right? Where did Lucy come from? I don't know. It came from a, an amoeba. Where did the amoeba come from? Well, it, it came from protoplasmic ooze. So what came before the ooze? Well, that was the be- So in the beginning, ooze. In the beginning, snot. In the beginning, goo. Or in the beginning, God. I'll just take the, leave one O out. In the beginning, God. Okay, I I prefer to believe that there is an intelligence behind creating, look, the optic nerve, right? We see people upside down, don't we? And then it turns it around. We're not all walking on our heads today, right? And you look at it and go, man, the eyeball is a miracle. How does the eyeball work? God created the eyeball. And we all have two of them. And we're all, you know, refracting the right way. And we're all walking on our feet. How does that work? Ooze. (laughs) No, it's not ooze. It's God. In the beginning, bang. You know, when there was a bang under my hood, it cost me a lot of money. You know, the piston is shooting up through the, through the hood, right? Like, oh my, it's going to be expensive. The wires are everywhere. Smoke is coming out of it. The fire department's involved. In the beginning, bang! Hey, take a stack of two-by-fours, Brother Nick. Two-by-sixes, right? You're building a house. And you take a big pile, and Brother Ivan, take a big stack of lumber tomorrow morning and go to that job site and get a ton of dynamite. And boom! Like, the, like a roadrunner, right? And boom! And you build a house. No, it takes about five seconds. In the beginning, bang. No, when you do in the beginning, bang, you take all that good lumber, you turn it into toothpicks. It doesn't make things more organized. It makes things less organized. In the beginning, protoplasmic slime. Oh, listen to this one. You're going to love this, right? In my never-been-nicotine-stained fingers, right? The, the Military Times, okay? This is from yesterday. The Military Times. This is not Art Bell, Okay? Pentagon UFO chief says alien mothership in our solar system is possible. There is a possibility that extraterrestrial motherships and smaller probes may be visiting planets in our solar system. The head of the Pentagon Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Research Office noted in a reported draft shared Tuesday. 
quote. This is from Sean Kirkpatrick, Kirkpatrick, director of the Pentagon All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, wrote in a research report co-authored by Abraham Loeb, chairman just down the road of Harvard University Astronomy Department. He said this, quote, an artificial interstellar object could potentially be a parent craft that releases many small probes during its close passage to Earth, an operational construct not too dissimilar from NASA missions, end of quote. Kirkpatrick, who was appointed as director of the AARO when it was founded in July 1922, previously served as the chief scientist of the Defense Intelligence Agency's Missile and Space Intelligence Center. The AARO was established to investigate unidentified objects of interest around military installations, according to the Pentagon release, press release. Loeb, on the other hand, gained notoriety when he proposed our solar system has been traversed by its first extrasolar visitor in October of 2017. At that time, the Pan-STARRS telescope in Hawaii detected an object moving at a speed that caused some scientists to suggest that it had originated outside our system. The Earth's orbit also hinted at other forces besides the sun's gravitational pull influencing its movement. Scientists dubbed the object, are you ready? Um, um, ua. O-U-M-O-U-M-U-A, um-um-ua, the Hawaiian term for scout, which Kirkpatrick and Loeb offer in their research paper as an example of a possible mothership with probe capabilities. With proper design, these tiny probes would reach the Earth or solar system planets for exploration as the parent craft passes by within a fraction of the Earth-Sun separation, just like um-um-uma did. <laughs> Authors explain, astronomers would not be able to notice the spray of mini probes because they do not reflect enough sunlight for existing survey telescopes to know. I think there might be one here now. To notice them. Um, um, uma. All right? This is from the Military Times in the United States. This is the director of the program in the Pentagon. Hey, I've got another word for you. It's not Hawaiian. It's Italian. I grew up with Italians. Sanatori, Tavanati, Spigarelli. My dentist was Okedi. Uh, who else? Um, uh, who's the pizza guy? Spigarelli. You know, here's the Italian word. Bologna. Right? <laughs> Bologna. <laughs> Something to get at the deli. Um, um, uma. You know what they're trying to explain? They're trying to explain the rapture. Hey, where'd all the Christians go? Um, um, uma got them. The mothership came and took all the people who aren't here back to you. Take me to your leader. Wouldn't they be disappointed today, right? Little green man, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Take me to your leader. Oh, he's taking a nap. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Okay, anyway, now, we have to look at this and say, all right, where did we come from? Who created us? Did God create us, or did we come from a swamp? Did we come from primordial ooze? Did we come from a one-cell microorganism that got an itch and rubbed itself on a tree, and then it grew an arm, and then it swung, and then it had to a tail, and it grew another arm and two legs, and now it's walking around and going to the mall? Well, I might believe that. <laughs> or do we say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. A professor was in his class, and he took his, he took his class, and he said, you know what, this thing of the Bible, and he ripped the Bible up in little pieces and threw it in the corner. He says, we're all done with that. Well, you know, I don't know the professor's name. We don't remember it, really. But Isaiah 40, verse 8 says, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. There's still a word of God. And they've changed that theory so many different times. Faith. Faith for salvation. Look at verse number 4, Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained 
witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, that, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. The Bible says that we have to have faith in Jesus Christ to take us to heaven. Cain and Abel. You know, there's a, there's a I, I saw, unfortunately, there's some kind of a Christian rock fest going on. Let's say Christian pornography. It's an oxymoron. It doesn't exist. And one of the lead bands that they have is called Cain. Why would you want to have a band named after a guy who's lost and a reprobate and brought a work salvation, unless that's what you believe? Why, why don't you at least name it Abel, right? <laughs> but Abel brought the, the sacrifice. Cain brought the fruit of the ground. Tells you a lot, doesn't it? And so salvation. Abel had faith in God. Abel understood that he couldn't take himself to heaven. He needed God to take him to heaven. And you need God to take you to heaven. And I need God to take me to heaven. So what do we have to do? We have to say, you know what? This is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that's going to take me to heaven. I'm a sinner. I deserve to go straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go straight to hell. I deserve to go there because of my sin. Jesus Christ loved me so much that he left heaven in the fullness of time. God sent forth his son. He left heaven. He lived a perfect life. He never did anything sinful. And he died in my place and he died in your place. And now he offers us the gift of God, which is eternal life. But we have to take it by faith. By faith, the faith for salvation. How about our walk with God? Look at verse number 5. Hebrews chapter 11. So we have to believe that God is. That God is the creator of the world. Verse number 3. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. How would you like to have a God that you understand with the three pound brain? God is so incredible. I can understand him with my three pound brain. No, I can't. I barely scratch the surface with my three pound brain. I'm not even, every day I'm learning something new about everything. God is infinite. So we understand that we have faith to believe that God created the world. We have faith to understand that we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus Christ. We accept him by faith. Our walk with God, verse number five, you thought I forgot. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. You can read about Enoch in Genesis chapter five and verse 24. The Bible says, and Enoch walked with God. Noah's great, great grandfather. The Bible says, that we, we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, the Christian life is not always logical. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews 11, verse number 1. Think about this. Humble yourself, the Bible says, then you'll be exalted. Empty yourself, and you'll be filled. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. Give, and you shall receive. What does walking with God mean? To walk with God. Enoch and God walked with each other. To walk with God means you go in the same direction as God. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos 3.3. 3. If you're going to walk with God, you've got to go where God goes. You've got to go the direction God is going or you'll not walk with God. God's not going to turn around and walk in unrighteousness to walk with me if I'm walking in an unholy place. I need to walk with God and go the direction that God is going. Walking with God means doing what God is doing. Walking with God means obeying the scripture. And walking with God in verse 6 means pleasing God. There are some evidences of faith that people showed in Hebrews chapter 11. We've got to hurry. Verse number 7, Noah prepared an ark. Never rained before, and God says, build an ark. Build a boat. There's no, no water around here, but it's going to rain. Okay, I believe God. For 120 years, he preached righteousness. For 120 years, he worked on that ark, and he saved his family and the world. Do you believe that? I believe that. But it's easy to believe in that it came from a piece of booger, right? Sorry. Can you say that? It's easier to believe in that came from ooze and slime. God created me. Not the booger man created me. Verse 8 through 10. Abraham left that which he knew to live a life of great faith, to leave a legacy of faith to Isaac. 
Verse 11, Sarah believed God for the impossible. She's 90 years old, and God said, I'm going to give you a son, and he's going to be born, and you're going to have a baby. And she laughed. And his name is Isaac, which means laughter. <laughs> Every time she looked at Isaac, she said, hey, I laughed. God said I was going to have a son. I, I believe, but I kind of didn't believe, too. I mean, really, but she did have some faith. She believed God. How do we get faith? That's a good question, and we'll finish. Look at Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter number 10. Faith pleases God. We need to put our faith in God. We've been given the measure of faith. Like these guys all have a dollar bill. They can put that wherever they want. They can put it in their sock. They can burn it. They can throw it out. They can invest it. They could spend it. They could save it. But we choose what we do with our measure of faith. God's given every one of us a measure of faith. You can put your measure of faith in science. Science changes, doesn't it? It does. Thank God for the improvements. Look, I thank God for science. I thank God for the grocery store. I thank God for a lot of things. But I'm not going to put my faith in man. I'm going to put my faith in God. Where do we get our faith? Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. We need to hear the word of God. We need to read the word of God. How do you increase your faith? How do you strengthen your faith? You get into the Bible. What do we do when we read the word of God? We need to obey it. Okay, this is what God said I need to do. Obey it. Faith. Answer doubt with the Bible. How do we get faith? We use the faith that we have. Faith is like a muscle. We build it by using it. We build it by, by strengthening it. We build it by pushing on it. Use your faith. When the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? Will he find faith in your life? Will he find faith in your home? Will he find faith in your marriage? Young person, will he find faith in your obedience to your parents? In your daily walk with God, do you have faith? In your finances, do you have faith? In your prayer life, do you have faith? Look, the economy goes upside down. You know what I find? I find that God's people and God's church thrive. The economy goes in the tank. God's people and God's church thrive. Isn't that funny? It's almost like God takes care of people who live by faith. Listen, I, I'm looking at, I don't know anybody here who's having a really big financial problem. I know we have little ones all the time, right? It's called life. I'm looking at, I don't know anybody here who's just totally devastated. Church is doing fine financially. You know, some people struggle. Faith. Here's a, here's a good quote. Trust God in hardship. Here's a good quote. I'll finish with this. An umbrella can't stop the rain but it allows us to stand in the rain. Faith in God may not remove our trials, but it gives us strength to overcome them. Without faith, it is impossible. It's still going to rain, but now you have an umbrella, and you can function in the rain. I'm going to still go out, and have, I'm still going to get sick. I'm still going to have problems. I'm still going to have, you know, my stuff's going to break down like yours. It's still going to happen. It's just life. But now I have faith. Everybody can have faith. Anybody can invest that faith in God. Or you can squander that faith and invest it in whatever else. And you'll be the loser. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.